The Abraham narrative is a narrative that has two endings. The first ending, actually, is chapter 22. The Lech Lecha of chapter 22, which is parallel to the Lech Lecha of chapter 12. Chapter 12 was God's first communication to Abraham to leave his past, to leave his home. Lech Lecha And the second Lech Lecha, God's last communication, is about building for the future. It's about leaving where you are, bringing your son Isaac as a sacrifice, but it turns out the sacrifice actually is a way of Abraham's reclaiming Isaac and in reclaiming him as my son and my covenantal son and the destiny is established through Isaac. So that's one ending. But the Abraham narrative doesn't end in chapter 22. It goes on through 23 and 24 and part of 25. So what is that about? And in point of fact, actually, the Abraham narrative didn't begin in chapter 12, because Abraham is first introduced to us at the end of chapter 11 as one of the children of Terach. He's with his father who begins to travel towards Canaan. So it's a story that has, one might say, two beginnings and two endings. And the way I like to describe the two endings is this. There are two different endings. There is the ending of the Akedah, Abraham's perfect fulfillment of God's command, the promise, the dream. The Akedah ended with the blessing. God swears. Be nishbati, says God. I swear by myself. God swears by God. That I will fulfill the covenant through Isaac. And that's the great promise. And that's the dream. Chapters 23 and 24 and 25 are about something very different, which is how do you make the dream come true? The dream comes true in the real world. And the real world is not this purified, ethereal, beautiful world of the Akedah. It's the world of Ephron, the Hittite, in chapter 23. It's the world of Laban, the Aramean, of chapter 24. It's dealing with real people, real problems, in a world that isn't always clean. In chapter 23, Abraham, upon the death of his wife Sarah, wants to secure a place in the land. Chapter 23 tells us of the death of Sarah. Abraham came wherever he comes from, it's not clear, to mourn for Sarah, to bewail Sarah. And after Abraham arises from before his departed, he speaks to the people of Chet, the Chiti of one of the Canaanite nations. He says to them, I am a stranger who sojourner with you. Please give me a portion of a grave. I want to bury my departed. And the people of Chet, B'nei Chet, answer him in verse 5 or 6, Shema'enu listen, they say, my Lord, Elohim you are a, uh, a, a, the elect of God amongst us. Prince, you're a prince. You can bury your dead in, the choice, in our choicest graves. Nobody will say no. Ishmimenu, Nobody will refuse you a grave. It's very, very sweet. But that's actually not what Abraham wants. The people of Chet, the Canaanites, offer him a kever. But Abraham doesn't want a kever. He doesn't want a grave. He wants something else. He wants what the Torah calls a chuzat kever. A chuzah means the possession of a grave. Achuzah's possession. 
Eretz Achuzatchem in the book of Ayikra means the land that is most deeply yours. It came to you when the land was divided. To the extent something can be yours in this world, Achuza means it's yours. Three times in this chapter, the Torah uses the word Achuza. He doesn't want a gift. He wants this to be the permanent possession. And I would explain it in the following way. Having come to an understanding that Isaac is his covenantal child, he reclaims Isaac in chapter 22, he comes to understand as a derivative of that, that if Isaac is the covenantal child, Sarah was correct, then Sarah is the covenantal parent. Sarah is the covenantal mother. Sarah is his partner in destiny. So the place that will represent the acquisition of the land, that's the covenant. The covenant revolves around the sacred space. That's got the person to represent that should be Sarah. The Achuzad Kever, we speak of Marat the tomb of the patriarchs. But actually, it's the tomb of the matriarch in the Torah. It's Sarah's grave. Abraham's also buried there, and so are the others. But primarily, it's Sarah's. And if you ask me, why Sarah? I would say that it's not only because she had the vision as to how the covenant is to proceed, that is true, but there's something else about the very covenant itself. The very covenant itself the terms of which are described in chapter 15, talks about being a stranger, a gear, being enslaved, and being abused, inui, which often has a sexual meaning. Chapter 15 is essentially a recasting of the experience in Egypt in chapter 12, when Abraham travels down to Egypt. Now it's true, Abraham and Sarah both are strangers in the land of Egypt. Vayered Avram Yisraim Abraham went down there to dwell there temporarily. He's a gear, he's a stranger. But if we ask ourselves the question, whose experience in Egypt is parallel to Avdut and Inui, to being a slave and being abused, it's got to be Sarah. Sarah was taken by Pharaoh, taken, and you can't escape. So she is, in fact, a slave, and she is clearly sexually abused. So Gerit, Abdut, and Inui are what Sarah experiences. The Torah doesn't use that language in chapter 12, but in recasting the experience in chapter 15, it frames it in terms of Gerit, Abdut, and Inui. And therefore, who is more appropriate than Sarah to represent the covenantal destiny? That is to say, the piece of land that represents the covenantal destiny is Maratha Machpelah, is the grave. Now, it's actually very interesting that in chapter 23, Abraham wanted to buy a grave. Abraham says, put me in touch with Ephron, the Hittite, and I know he will sell me the grave. Abraham approaches Ephron, and Ephron, Abraham had said earlier, I want to pay the full price. He doesn't want it for nothing, because he get a gift for nothing, the person giving the gift might think it's really mine. He doesn't want that. He wants to pay the full price. Put me in touch with Ephron. When he comes to Ephron, Ephron says, Listen, Abraham, I'll give, you the gra- I'll give you the field and I'll give you the grave as well. I'll give you both. Natati means it's the past tense, but it's the definite future. You can have them both. Another way to read it is you can only have one with the other. Now, the grave is at the corner of the field, probably not very expensive. 
the field is very expensive. So what Ephraim's really saying is, if you want the grave, if you want to pay for the grave, you've got to pay for the field. Avram doesn't bat an eyelash. Avram says, well, tell me what you want. Oh, Arba Meod Shekel Kesef. Between me and you, what's that, says Ephron? 400 in the book of Genesis appears three times. It's a vast number. Fine. I'll give you the finest currency as well. Abraham is willing to expend all the money to secure what he knows he has to have. What's the purpose of the money? If not to secure the things that we need. Arba Meod Shekel Kesef Ovela Socher. And then it turns out that the acquisition of the Jewish people in the land is not just the grave. The grave is important because the grave means that even after the death of the person, the person remains covenantal. We should not forget that the end of the book of Genesis, the last thing Jacob says is, take me back to the grave of my parents and grandparents, the one that Abraham purchased. He, rem- he reminds them of the purchase of the gravesite the linkage of the generations. But it's also a field. It's not just the grave. It's a living land as well. So Sedei Ephron, not just the kever, but the field. The field reminds us it's a land that you live in. And the goal is to actually live in the land, to work the land, to live in the land, to be a full person in the land, a full person in a free land is a person that can fully link up with the great covenant of Sefer Breshit and the covenant of the Torah and the book of Exodus and the covenant of Sinai.